0: Hey, what's going on, y'all? It is State Representative Brandon McGee. I am here once again on FUBUradio.com. This week, uh, my special guest, listen, y'all, I have none other than U.S. Secretary Dr. Miguel A. Cardona. Uh, But before we jump into this exclusive interview with Secretary Cardona, um, I, I just want to say my, my co host, Shay McCray, she is traveling. Uh, she's doing her thing throughout this country, uh, and we really pray and hope that she is well. Obviously, you'll hear from her, uh, uh, she and I, on next week uh, as we bring you more great news on leadership, politics, and culture. But again, Uh, Thank you for joining Inside the Room with myself, State Representative Brandon McGee, where we discuss politics, leadership, and culture. Uh, We would like to personally thank US Secretary of Education, Dr. Miguel Cardona, uh, for joining Inside the Room today, a platform that features an array of topics related to pop culture, politics, current events, and of course, community involvement. Inside the Room is honored to have Dr. Cardona here with us today, as he brings with him an extensive background, primarily in education, not limited to. During this segment, we will discuss various methods uh, to reopening schools across the nation, his perspective on where we are as a country with respect to education, and anything else that the secretary would like to share with us. By way of just a brief bio, because he has a very, very extensive, uh, colorful uh, bio with full of experience. In 2003, listen to this y'all, Cardona was the youngest principal in the state of Connecticut when he became the head of Hanover Elementary School in Meriden, Connecticut. After becoming an assistant superintendent for teaching and learning at Meriden Public Schools in 2013, He rose rather quickly in the state system, becoming the head of the state's K through 12 schools just last that summer. As a student, he attended Meriden Public Schools and graduated from Wilcox Technical High School. By the way, Mr. Secretary, I graduated from Prince Tech, uh, but nonetheless, I'll I'll let you have that. Cardona also attended Central Connecticut State University where he received his bachelor's degree and the University of Connecticut uh, where he completed his master's degree in bilingual, bicultural education, and of course his doctorate in education. As we all know, and uh, this was a special moment for me, um, we watched now Secretary Cardona lift his hand and pledged himself to his current position as U.S. Secretary of Education, the first Latino uh, to hold this position. And I will be remiss, I would be remiss if I didn't just say uh, to the many listeners uh, that tune in weekly on, on Monday, um, I am so proud, I'm Connecticut proud to call Dr. Cardona my friend, but most importantly, a friend to the state of Connecticut. So again, join me in gathering people from all walks of life to step inside the room in efforts to gain perspective on how we can educate and uplift our communities. Mr. Secretary, welcome to Inside the Room. What's going on, man? How you doing? Thank you, man.
1: Thank you for the invite, that intro, wow. <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Representative. Uh, McGee Call me Brandon. For, Call me Brandon, please. Brandon, for the invite to inside the room. Um, you know, it's been a, it's been a little while since we've caught up, so it's nice to catch up with you. I look forward to the work ahead. I look forward to this conversation.
0: Yeah. So, really quickly, before we jump into the crux of our, our today's conversation, um, you just recently had an interview with Vice President Harris on PBS, uh, and you really unpacked both of you the importance of focusing on child poverty and education and the connection between the two. Can you tell us a little bit of what came out of that and what what are the follow-ups to to that uh, interview that you had?
1: Definitely, definitely. It was a great moment um, to have Vice President Harris here. We were in New Haven and we had a a roundtable discussion with um, uh, several commissioners, our senators and our governor, And it was really a listening session on how we can best support states. But you know, the American Rescue Plan can cut child poverty in half. This is a moment for our country. And really what it was is an opportunity for us to listen to uh, the folks around the table on what we can do to make sure that we can achieve that, right? So we heard strategies uh, like ensuring that uh we're making sure the money hits where it's supposed to go soon that you know this is unprecedented that the the amount of money that's going out there we we have to make sure we have checks and balances to make sure that the money is moving through to get to those communities to cut the poverty in half to to assist those families that need it we heard from them that um you know ne- and we know this but it was nice to hear it reinforced we can't look at children in isolation we have to look at children families and communities uh, all together, right? Because they're all connected. So it, it was a great conversation where we got to hear from uh, the commissioner of DCF, the commissioner of early childhood education, both senators and our governor on what we need to think about in, in the administration to make sure that uh, the 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 goals of this American Rescue Plan uh, reach reach the targeted audience.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, speaking of reopening of our schools and, and the CARES funds uh, that was recently signed, um, we refer to it as the American Rescue, Rescue Plan. Um, how are those CARE funds being used throughout the country? Uh, and how will these funds essentially help get kids back in school? From your perspective, one of the lead educators um, in the country. What, 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 are, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, you know, uh, Brandon, as uh, immediate past chairman of the Black and Quartering Caucus, and all the work you've done and your colleagues have done, You know, let's go back to before March 2020. We know we've had uh, uh, disparities in outcomes for our students um, by race and place, right? We know that that's plagued our country ever since we started collecting data. Uh, We know that access to quality healthcare um, is also something that's uh, disproportionately um, less likely to to be readily available for people of color. I could go on and on and it's the same Mm -hmm. group of people that don't have the right access, right? So now the, the, the pandemic exacerbated that, made it much worse, and, mm-hmm. and made it to a point now where we really, we have to work, like we have to do amazing work to make sure we're re-engaging students that we've lost um, and, and getting them back, but also getting them back to a system that was better than the system that was there before the pandemic. So the CARES funds and the ARP or American Rescue Plan funds is really intended not only to turn the lights on and provide masks, that's what people think of. Hmm. This is really about making sure we're redesigning our schools to meet our students when they come back with that trauma, with that uh, lack of social emotional um, uh, experience for the last year, not to mention whatever academic uh, uh, topics they missed. So we really need to rethink how we're bringing our students back, ensuring we have enough teachers. I, ultimately, the, what, I, what we should be seeing, smaller class sizes, more school counselors, more school social workers, um, better activities. Every student in Connecticut should have an opportunity to do something over the summer that they might have never done before. Whether it's get you know getting access, free access to museums, to, to summer camps, to programs where they could be around other kids, and kind of recoup what was lost this past year in a positive way. So the American Rescue Plan provides funds for that. And the goal is to really make sure that we're not walking into schools that are designed like they were before the pandemic. We need to aim higher. We need to aim higher. Hmm.
0: You know, I've always, and even now, as you know, we're in the uh, 2021 legislative session and um, I serve on the education committee and housing committee and appropriations, thankfully. Um, And we're talking about just that. The amount of money that state school districts are receiving is absolutely amazing. I've never seen it during my lifetime, especially in politics. And my prayer is that districts use these funds to help support um, the reintegration, if you would, of everything that you said, but also have an opportunity uh, to enhance many of the services for our children. Um, so, so that's extremely exciting. I, I, you know, you've mentioned, um, my, uh, previous immediate previous position as chair of the black and Puerto Rican caucus here. And, you know, one of the things that we've done, we fight for all children, but we have fight, we fight, especially for uh, children of color, black and brown, indigenous children that we represent. How does your plan, um, as a secretary of education, um, get kids back in school? right but focus specifically on communities of color who have been disproportionately impacted by a lot and i'll just leave it at that
1: you know one of the things i'm going to go back to i remember when i was commissioner in connecticut it was like july of 2020. i'll never forget where i was standing brandon and i i was tasked with coming up with a plan to reopen schools safely now we know if black and brown children are not in the classroom, they're gonna perform worse. And gaps are already there. So it was critically important that we safely reopen schools for all students, but in particular those students who are historically underperforming. Mm-hmm. Yet, in the back of my mind as a Latino, I know that the mortality rate for black and Latinos was higher with COVID. Mm. So I was it was it was extremely difficult to think about, my goodness, you know, we're gonna follow the science and we're listening to our health experts. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, these kids have experienced so much. And we know that our black and brown students who um, have experienced COVID in their families or what have you, might have experienced it in a worse way because That's the true. transmission rates in urban communities is higher because black and brown people, when they get it, the effects of COVID are, are worse. So I know that when we welcome our students back, we need to make sure that we're addressing proportionately the social emotional needs and mental health supports that they need. I don't have to tell you that if a student who, any student, black, brown, it doesn't matter, is exhibiting stress and it comes across as uh, non-engaging, oftentimes it it gets addressed in a disciplinary way. Mm -hmm. What we need to do is make sure we have the tools in our schools and the training needed to make sure that all of our educators are receiving these students with an understanding of their mental health needs after having lived through a pandemic that disproportionately affected their families. You follow Mm -hmm. me? So that's critically important that we connect with them as people first. We're going to get to the academic needs. Mm -hmm. If if we don't create warm environments where they want to be there, I don't care what program you buy for the computer. I don't care how strong your internet connection is. If we can't connect with our students, and that means that social emotional connection, then um, it's gonna be harder to to re-engage them in a way that's meaningful, in a way that can close whatever gaps were exacerbated. So Mm -hmm. to answer your question succinctly, it's really making sure that our schools are prepared to meet the students with with the experiences that they just had and making sure that we're engaging families who are they're their first teachers to re-engage them as well. So we have to put our resources and our support to reach those families, uh, the black and brown families who maybe were already somewhat disconnected from the schools or didn't feel welcomed enough. We need to double down on our efforts to make sure that they're a part of the conversation.
0: Wow, well, you know what, if you're just tuning in, uh, we are um, being blessed by uh here in inside the room with all of our folks who tune in every single monday on fubu radio Um, we are um, listening to dr miguel cardona um, our u.s secretary of education Uh, he's taken time out to just check in with the folks he is actually on the road uh and he is probably in one of the classrooms of a school somewhere in the u.s Uh, but we're so excited that he took a moment Uh, to chill with us. So um, keep it locked, uh, FUBU Radio, uh, and and we'll be back, all right? Got to pay some bills. What's going on, y'all? We are back, uh, and we're so grateful once again. If you're tuning in, you're tuning in to Inside the Room with State Representative Brandon McGee, and today we have an exclusive interview uh, with U.S. Secretary of Education, that's United States uh, Secretary of Education, Dr. Miguel Cardona, uh, if you're just tuning in, you missed uh, the intro. We talked a little bit about the importance of the rescue, uh, uh, American Rescue Plan dollars uh, that were just recently provided to school districts and states throughout this country uh, to help support many of our school district. I mean, all, oh, not many of our school districts uh, as they reopen uh, and get back to uh, providing top-notch education to our students and you know I, I wouldn't be myself if I didn't ask uh, the secretary about his commitment and his work around communities of color uh, that have been so disproportionately impacted before the pandemic uh, and now here we are uh, and so I'm so just very excited of his work but I want to talk a little bit about your accomplishments uh, that you had here in the state of Connecticut uh, again, if you're tuning in, I serve currently as a state representative in the Connecticut General Assembly, and I've had the distinct pleasure of working uh, with then Commissioner Cardona, now Secretary. Um, but I'll let I'll let him talk about what he's done in Connecticut, uh, and perhaps what transitioned, or probably gave you an opportunity uh, to, to even, uh, you know, put yourself in this position uh, to be the Secretary of, of Education, the first Latino. Talk to me a little bit about that.
1: You know, Connecticut experience was, um, seems like the pace was, especially after pandemic, at a different level, you know, and, and if it weren't for my experience uh, serving as commissioner, I know I wouldn't be Secretary of Education. First and foremost, when when i came onto the scene as the commissioner of education i wanted to make sure we reestablished our purpose as a as an agency to be unapologetically aiming at closing achievement disparities connecticut as you may know is probably one of the worst in the country in terms of the gaps between the have and the have not so That was my focus. It it was since I was a fourth grade teacher and commissioner of education gave me a platform where I can really push policy on that. Um, Making sure that our high schools provide clear pathways for college and career. A lot of times, and you know, you're a tech school graduate. A lot of times it's four year college or bust. We needed to change that mentality. We needed to change that culture. And I wanted to make sure that our agency was leading with purpose and passion and just conviction. You know, like we have work to do. And the most important job in my opinion is making sure that our kids are good. So that that was the purpose. We clear, created clear goals. And I, I, let me tell you, the education committee on the legislative side, tremendous supporters, uh, they got it and it helped to be able to push things when you have a really supportive legislature. The State Board of Education, same thing, the governor, all stars lined up. It was time to get to work Then the pandemic hit. And then honestly, the biggest lever for equity, in my opinion, is making sure students have an opportunity to learn safely in the classroom. So that became the goal to safely bring students back in right because we know with remote with zoom there were some districts brandon i won't name names but there were some districts in connecticut where i talked to the superintendent it was like the monday after the pandemic shut schools down everybody was on everybody had an internet access good internet access good computer good content i talked to another district a very uh, poor district and it took four weeks before they even got in touch with their students so for me getting students safely back in schools was the best way i can address inequities that were getting worse um Uh, so that experience you know it it was hard work man it was hard work
0: i I can only imagine it's still
1: not done it's still not done but that's the passion that i'm bringing now at the at the national level to address those inequities to safely reopen schools and make sure that we're working together to kind of reimagine what education can be
0: well i mean so speaking of some of the challenges of, of you know, virtual learning and also just in person. Um, I know that there were many school districts, like you said, that hadn't even reached out to students or families, let alone, you know, logging students on and having laptops. And I appreciate your work around that, Um, making sure every single student in the state of Connecticut um, had access to um, the uh, technology to log into classrooms. But I think of our educators and the challenges that they're faced with. Can you speak from your experience? Um, Obviously, you were in the classroom, you were in administrative uh, positions, superintendent, uh, commissioner, now secretary. What are some of the challenges our educators are faced with now? And how is your office handling, you know, coordinating and supporting um, with that passion uh, school districts across the country?
1: You know, educators have always been asked to do more with less. So, you know, when I started teaching I was a fourth grade teacher. When my kids were having a bad day or there were issues at home, I had to work with them, support them. When they were hungry, I had to feed them. When they had issues where they didn't have funds for field trips or stuff like that, we made sure we took care of it. Teachers are being asked to do more and more every day. So how do we support teachers? Number one, honor and respect the fact what what they're doing. We got to pay them adequately. We have to make sure that we're providing uh, professional learning opportunities for them and instead of just expecting. For example, that social emotional need that our students have when they come into the classroom, it's gonna be so much greater. You know, how much are we investing of this ARP in providing them the support that they're gonna need? How are we providing the social emotional support for teachers who are dealing with students who are dealing with so much trauma? How are we taking care of our teachers? We can't take care of our kids if we're not taking care of our teachers. So. It's really also about giving them a seat at the table sometimes it, things become contentious because there's a feeling of listen I was never consulted and it could be that we may not agree at the end of the day but you know who better than the teacher who is working with these kids or the school social worker to tell us what they're seeing at the ground level so that when we make policy or we move money around we move it to the right spots so I think just making sure that they have a seat at the table showing respect, And um, working in partnership with them, that's what got it done in Connecticut. And that's what's going to get it done across the country.
0: Well, I know you got to get out of here, but I have a two for one uh, for you. And then whatever famous quote that you want to come up with, whether it's a a Cardona special or one of your educators. um, But I want to move quickly to higher education. And I know the department made an announcement on higher ed. Can you can you provide us with uh, just a quick macro level update on what that? Um, what that update is all about Sure.
1: we made a couple of announcements the last couple of weeks today we made one last week we made one we're really targeting um, relief for federal loan borrowers. you know there are many borrowers that we're taking advantage
0: of um, and so so do things- you mean do you mean secretary that folks who have loans i.e. myself you <laughs> can get those forgiven what, what what are you saying break it just layman's so- term.
1: So so two of the announcements and, you know, we're continuously working on this and there's probably going to be more more information on this to come. But last week, um, the, you know, borrowers that were taken advantage of or, or were were subject to um, behaviors by institutions where uh, they were taken gotcha. advantage of. Right. Gotcha. Last week, we uh, there were 72000 borrowers that fall into that category with over one billion dollars worth of loan that were quite clean. Okay. Um, t- today, uh, we provided relief for borrowers who are totally uh, and permanently disabled. So mm. those borrowers who are totally and permanently disaber- disabled, two hundred thirty 230,000 borrow- 200, uh, borrowers to be uh, exact were wiped clean. That's over a billion dollars.
0: Wow. Uh, That's good stuff.
1: So we're targeting it toward those who were affected the most and mm-hmm. who were taken advantage of. But we're not done. We're really looking at how we can support uh, borrowers moving forward. And I also want to mention, you know, we know that our HBCUs who serve such an important role in our country. I learned recently uh, that half the black dentists in the country, half of the black dentists across the country (laughs) come from
0: HBCUs. And by the way, by the way, to the listeners, those of you, you better know those acronyms. but. HBCU, historically black college and universities. By the way, I attended the Alabama State University mm-hmm. there in Montgomery, Alabama. So um, wh- wh- what's the Biden-Harris, uh, under your leadership on the education side, higher education side, what's the commitment of the administration on making sure HBCUs remain critical to, to giving access to communities of color when you begin talking about higher ed?
1: We are committed to making major investments and major partnerships with HBCUs, our tribal colleges, too, and like Hispanic serving institutions, MSIs, other minority right. institutions. There's so many whose, whose work it is at the national level to ensure that we're closing those in, those gaps, right? So we're committed to supporting them, to providing funding and, and making sure that our partnership with them is tight. Um, I wanna make sure that uh, my department has staff, adequately staffed to make sure we're serving as a liaison with them to see what their needs are. We, we, I want them to be successful. We need them to be successful as a country. So we're committed to that with funding, but also with policy and, and support for those universities that serve our students so greatly. So that's a commitment you're gonna hear from me today, but you're gonna see uh, in action as we move forward.
0: Well, Mr. Secretary, thank you so much for this brief moment to share with you. I know you gotta get back going. Clearly, we heard the phone ringing. Folks are trying to get to you. Uh, But as always, your folks here in Connecticut, we love you dearly. If there's ever anything you need from us, we're here but you continue to represent all of our children's our family our teachers throughout this country. You keep up the great work Mr. Secretary. Again, Thank you, y'all stay stay locked in Fubu Radio. Peace.